Well, hello, tennis fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Attic Podcast. For your host, Michael and Michael. <laughs> Not Mike and Mike. Uh, Michael, Mike and Michael. Michael, Michael, you know, whatever you'd like to call us. No, we got to coin what we can. Yeah. It's Michael and Michael. That's well, not taken yet. Yeah, but, the, but Mike and Mike is, is obviously well known. <laughs> but this is true. Uh, this we're is not uh, going to be joined by Eric uh, again this week. Unfortunately, uh, Eric's job is taking him uh, away from us yet again. Um, it's just you know, it's the way it is. It's you know, darn work. It's darn uh, work. you know, it happens in the nature <laughs> of his job. It just sometimes. Uh, it requires him to be, you know, out doing it uh, till later in the day, and he can't record with us. Uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but hopefully we'll have him back uh, come next week. But until then, I guess you guys have to deal with us. So, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> How unfortunate, right? <clears throat> um, all right, so it's been a huge, uh, huge week in tennis here. Um, we're going to cover the news do a little rundown of what's been going on in the tennis world before we get into our Rogers Cup review. Of course, we also have our uh, Cincinnati um, preview as well. So we'll be getting to that at the at the latter portion of the podcast. So let's run down through the news here. Uh, Roger Feder um, turned 36, first of all, uh, in the past week. So uh, happy birthday, Roger. Uh, 36. It's crazy that he's playing at the level he's playing at still. Uh, you know, great, obviously, tennis player and ambassador to the game. But, uh, happy birthday, Roger. Uh, hopefully he'll be, or hopefully he was up, uh, celebrating just a little bit. And if not, um, well, now that the tournament is over and he's pulled out of Cincinnati, uh, he'll be able to maybe actually celebrate his birthday the way he should. Admittedly, I think he celebrated a little too much. Um, I heard that he was out uh, at several concerts mm. throughout the tournament, uh, including a Coldplay concert uh, where they actually live on stage uh, oh, told cool. him happy birthday. Uh, so he shouted back out to Coldplay to, you know, appreciation yeah. of that happening. Um, but as, as you said, um, the bigger news of the two, though, uh, that Rogers pulled out of Cincinnati um, for any tennis fan that watched the final, I think they know why. Yeah, yeah, he pulled out with a back injury, which he suffered uh, at the latter stages of that match. It was uh, about midway through the second set. Uh, I guess there was a point, or it was a point where he he had to kind of stop uh, and kind of hit the brakes. And when he twisted, I think I think that's where it actually happened. So he he hurt his back, uh, and you could tell afterwards he just wasn't the same player. That's to take away nothing, by the way, from the Zverev match, which we'll get to here uh, later on. But uh, because Zverev was playing so well, but uh, obviously the back injury is severe enough that it pulls him out of Cincinnati. He's going to take this week to rest and get himself hopefully ready for the U.S. Open. Uh, because obviously that, that yeah, I would assume we I would assume that we with this withdrawal we won't see him again till of till course the US not Open no, then no we won't at this point we'll have two um, weeks so hope hopefully he can get uh, you know can get the back healed up hopefully it's nothing mm-hmm. too severe uh, obviously that's been the one hampering thing of his career is that the back has been a nagging problem on and off uh, hopefully that does not continue to be the case we've seen that he has struggled uh, years past. Uh, with that, 
I can't remember exactly which season. Um, I think it was it was uh, 2013 uh, in particular was really bad for him. I want to say I want to say it was somewhere around there, but I, I didn't want to cite an exact. But I, I do believe you're right. Uh, 2013. So hopefully this is not the case. Hopefully we get a a fresh and and uh, healthy Federer for the uh, U.S. Open, and then we can all sit back and wait for what we all hope for. Uh, but I, I, I won't say anything <laughs> any further it. than that. <laughs> um, okay, no. so let's go on here. The Victoria Azarenka has also pulled out of Cincinnati for personal reasons. Now, uh, nothing that we can verify on here, and it's not like we, we try to um, chase down rumors or anything, but 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 <laughs> because we don't, generally don't deal in, in rumors, but uh, this seems to be something that has been gaining real traction, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, rumors suggest that there is a, a custody battle between her and the father of the child uh, that she had uh, earlier this year. Um, I guess that the the father and she and the father have recently split up, and so recently split up, and um, yeah. I guess that's kind of the, the the thing that's actually the catalyst here. So, yeah. Yeah, from, from the information that I read, Mike, that um, they were kind of on the rocks uh, when Wimbledon happened. And basically, he decided to go to Wimbledon with her anyway. And then they completely split after Wimbledon. Um, as far as when the actual dispute and battle has taken place between then and now, uh, or when it has really started to take effect, I am not sure, but that's the only other information that I had read on it. Uh, and it's a shame for Azarenka, obviously, um, we, we saw how well she played at Wimbledon. Um, and, and obviously the hard court season is her best, uh, chance at winning a slam or winning any tournament for that matter. Uh, so it's just it's terrible that you know the biggest swing of the season, her most successful part of the year, uh, is probably taken away. But obviously, um, I can understand why and would definitely agree that she's taking the right steps that she needs to yeah. with this happening. Oh, uh, definitely, I, I agree. I mean, she has to do what's important, and uh, as important as tennis is to her, obviously the child is more important. And if that is it requires her to take off the U.S. Open as, as unfortunate as that is. I, I think it's probably the best move. But again, this, at the moment, this is just speculation. It's nothing verified, and I don't really want to get too far into this because I, I, I feel a little. I guess I feel a little uncomfortable even going this far. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. You know. Yes. I, yes. Please, fans, make sure to realize that this is not concrete fact yeah. yet. I mean, if she comes um, out, yeah. As we say, it is a whisper in the it's, wind right now. <laughs> if she comes out and she eventually confirms that there, this is what's going on, then fine. Uh, but I'm I'm not going to mention it beyond this. Uh, we won't we won't talk about this again until uh, something comes out that's verifiable fact, like from a publicist or from her own mouth, um, where we get something that tells us for sure this is the case. So uh, we'll kind of leave that as it is. We'll leave it here. Uh, all right. So moving on, Sarah Ronnie has received a two-month doping ban. Uh, so she tested positive in late April. Uh, the ban will take effect August, or has taken effect already, August 3rd until October 2nd. Now, when this happened, I, I remember the day 
that this came down. Um, I was surprised, first thing. Uh, then I read the story, and the story behind the supposed doping uh, violation is a weird one. Uh, I'm not saying that this is impossible, but it... Mike, would you say this is along the lines of the, the Gasquet? Oh, the... the... Uh, uh, the doping co- the incident, positive test um, for cocaine. The yeah, cocaine do- doping ago. incident. Um, I I kind of throw it in those lines for myself yeah. a little bit. That it's like it's believable, but it's a little yeah, bit it of a stretch. Strains credul- uh, it's str- it's str- it so, strains credulity. It strains credulity. Go ahead, though. And so basically, the story behind this yeah. is that uh, her mother had <laughs> some kind of pharmaceutical pills that she takes and. Uh, the thought is that one of these must have fallen into a pot of soup or something similar uh, and dissolved. Um, and therefore, that's why she tested positive for this. Now, I don't know. It, it sounds kind of weird. And it, I, I, I guess it's possible if, if a pill was sitting out nearby and it fell into the soup. But it's like, why, why would there be a pill near a pot of soup? Uh, and it would have to be above the pot, and then something would have to. Maybe, maybe she was taking the pill while she was making the soup. Who knows? Pot. And Who again, knows it's why? possible. It's possible. <laughs> um, now, Irani says that they this this has to be the case because they ruled out everything else. Um, you know, on one hand, I feel like I want to believe her, but at the same time, we've been we've been burned so many times about when when we've had. Uh, players, regardless of sport, whether it be tennis, baseball, uh, football, whatever, um, Olympics, where they've tested positive, they've come out with sometimes what sounds like a very credible story, and then it turns out they were lying. And the one that I can think of that people probably were burned on the most recently was from a few years back when Ryan Braun from the Brewers in baseball, this is Major League Baseball, by the way, he won the MVP that year, uh, and then yeah. he, he tested positive, and he was vehement about the fact that he never did anything, nothing ever. And then it, turned, it came out that, it, in fact, he was lying, 100% positive. Uh, it was a lie that he told, and, in fact, he he was – because what it was, he's, he – he said, okay, I didn't do it, and then I believe he tested positive again, if I'm not mistaken – and yeah, I do believe he did test again, and that's then I think he had a 120 game right, suspension right. or something like yep. that. It was it was a good chunk yeah. of the season uh, that he missed then mm-hmm. the following year. So, and then he kind of was like, yeah, exactly. "Okay, I did." And, and so this happens a lot, unfortunately. Uh, of course, the players are, are concerned about their image, their career, the prospects, their all the deals they've made with companies, and the money they're getting paid because of their image. So it's all about it's about protecting their livelihood and the money that they make because of their you know, pristine image. And that becomes the most important thing. So they have to protect that, and therefore they just say, "I didn't do it," or "This is why." And I, you know, so on one hand, it's like, okay, it sounds like there might be a possibility this could have happened. But at the other end, I. I try not to get my hopes up because I feel like, you know, what will happen is we'll find out that, you know, nope, she actually did take it. And, you know, here the fans, we are burned again because someone said we didn't do this. Uh, it wasn't intentional. And then we, t- we find out that 
it was intentional, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and admittedly for Ronnie, for her image, like you said, this time of year, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's much of a hamper to her. Two months through October, Ronnie's going to do most of her best tennis on the clay court season. We know that. Um, obviously, she hasn't been playing that well as of late. So I wouldn't necessarily say that if she's taking the pills that they're helping her. Um, but, but ill regardless, um, yeah, I... I feel the same way. I don't. I don't want to jump out on a limb and say, "Oh, there's no way." There's always a way. There's a possibility. Um, we like to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but in this day and age, that's difficult to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it'll regardless. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's pretty much. Well, no, actually, we have one more thing. Um, the U.S. Open is going to be testing a a basically a shot clock. Now we did briefly talk about this a while back. Uh, turns out that along with the um, uh, qualifying matches uh, for for I believe the U.S. Open, they're also going to be testing this on the collegiate level as well as the junior juniors level as well. So this is a big deal because this goes from just being like a qualifying matches kind of thing to being on three fronts. So I feel like if this is successful, uh, this could really um, change the game and uh i i feel like this is i think a good thing i think this is a good thing i but there has to be there has to be some there has to be there has to be guidelines yeah. very strict and, guidelines on it right and it has and to be so enforced. It, we were talking about this before we started recording you know we're both of the opinion that if a shot clock goes to zero and a player hasn't served or at the very least isn't in motion to serve which i think is probably fair Think you should be in your service motion when the clock. If the clock hits zero, you should at least be in your service motion. But um, if for some reason you don't get into your service motion by the time the clock hits zero or whatever criteria, basically, I feel like you should get your first serve docked. But I don't think it should go beyond that unless it's something that is abused. But I don't think that would be abused because losing your first serve is a big deal, right? Especially yeah. on the women's tour. That would be huge on the women's tour because – not not to like you know point out at them, but uh, you know on the women's tour, most of the women on tour have a very suspect second serve where a lot of the other women can very easily attack it and do a lot of damage. Um, on the men's tour, I'm not, not to say that that's not the case either because – there are a lot of people that that would be the same way for the men as well. Um, that, you know, if they've got to hit a second serve every time, you know, it's tackable. It's at least attackable. It's not, it's not a shot that you're going to have to block back or you're going to have to hit a defensive shot off of. Take, um, take for instance, the big servers like Isner, Karlovic, Raonic. Um, look at them. You know, they can hit big second serves. But you can't tell me that their second serve is still more effective than their first, that they're hitting at 130 at a ridiculous angle. Um, so if you would be taking it away from them, that would be huge for them. Uh, not to say for other guys that it wouldn't be that aren't huge servers, but um, I think the biggest thing you and I talked about too is that this has to be very strictly enforced and there has to be guidelines set because the information that you and I have read said that – um, that it would be, you know, per the umpire, 
as to when the shot clock would start and when it would be reset or start again. And I brought up to you that it could be a major problem if, if you're getting umpires that are being completely, um, being completely different from one to another, because then that's not fair to the players. Um, that, that basically you're going to have one person that's very strict about it and one person that's very lenient about it. I just think that if they're going to do it, they have to have very specific guidelines for the umpires to have in their hands to say, this is when I have to enforce it, this is when I don't have to enforce it. Like There's got to be very set set guidelines on it. I, I think you would agree on that as well from what we talked about. Much. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, there needs to be a, a uniformity when it comes to the rules, and uh, I think all of the umpires need to be on the same page uh, so that players don't feel like one umpire is favoring uh, maybe their rival over them. You know, I feel like they're going into certain matches feeling like they're already kind of behind. You know, because the umpire maybe is a little more lenient with another player. So I think just needs to, everyone needs to be on the same page ultimately. So, but again, this is the early stages and there's going to be a level of refinement. This isn't going to happen, I believe, this year. Uh, well, not that obviously that happened this year. Uh, I don't even know that we're going to see it, um, next year even. I, I think, I think it's going no, to be, I, I agree. I think it's going to be several that, years. Maybe is when we'll, we'll see this implemented because they're going to take the time to make sure they get this correct. So, and this could obviously depend upon how it goes just this year. If it goes absolutely horribly, horribly sideways, excuse me, um, they may just be like, you know what? Maybe we need to sit back on this for a little bit longer and, and figure out a slightly different way. And I think the biggest thing that you and I thought was, um, how are they enforcing it and what's the penalty? That's the number one thing that I have not heard about is what is the penalty for this being enforced? What's going to happen? Um, like I said, you, you brought up that we talked about, um, especially if you're serving, that it should be, you know, uh, an enforcement on and, – and theoretically thinking about it, it should have to be enforced on the server because how many times is the person – it's returning serve, not usually ready. Would you agree? I don't. I don't see a whole lot of instances where the server's already on the line and the other person's not there because that's kind of already an unsaid rule. Where if the guy's on the line and the other guy's not, he can technically serve it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's an unspoken mm-hmm. rule, yeah, basically. Um, you you play to the server's pace, so I, I don't think that we should have anything. Other than looking at serving as, as an instance, and if you hit your first serve and you miss it, you go to your second serve. Well, your second serve is never going to take more than 25 no, seconds, right? No. Never. Never. So I, I think that's why you and I both came up with the fact that you should lose your first serve mm-hmm. as the punishment because w- what else is there? You can't enforce a point penalty every it would, time. It would ruin the game. Because would, you, you yeah. could literally you – could, you could, yeah, you could completely take the game – uh, out of a player's hands by doing that. Now, granted, I know that they're trying to enforce this to make the game a little faster and, you know, implement, you know, different things and, and aspects that it will change. But I think that that's got to be the most simplest thing to go with is, is lose your first serve. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. it's it's a, it's a fair uh, penalty and, um, yeah. 
Anyway, all right, so that's it uh, pretty much for that. The other thing I want to say is because uh, Roger pulled out of Cincinnati, Nadal uh, will be number one in the world, uh, at least for this tournament. Well, actually, he'll be number one going into the U.S. Open, actually, um, no matter what. Yeah, no matter so, what. No matter so he'll what, he'll be number he one be going number into one, the U.S. Open. Uh, that, of course, can uh, do wonders for a draw sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes the number one seed gets a, a killer draw. It really does. It really does depend. But um, generally, historically, it seems like the number one seed tends to get a little bit of an easier draw. Um, I would say sixty or seventy percent of the time. I feel like you kind of end up getting a little bit of an easier draw than the other side. But you know, it's still a bit of a flip of the coin, really. But um, but anyway. It is, it is a little bit, but I think the biggest the biggest thing about this with Roger pulling out, not just that Nadal's going to be, become number one now, is I do believe that Roger will now be seated third in New York, if I am not mistaken. I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't, I don't believe that he can pass Murray um, going into New York now. I think he had to... I believe he had to play at least a round or two, I believe, to to have that happen. And I, I could be totally wrong on that. I, I don't want to say for sure, um, but I believe that that is the, the case. Because um, Murray, uh, Murray, I'm trying to think here. Murray made the finals in Cincinnati last year. So he'll lose 600 points from uh, not attending the event this year. And Roger did not play Cincinnati last year. So, in a sense, then, Murray... Um, yeah, Murray will finish five points ahead of Federer for the wow. number two ranking. <laughs> uh, yeah, Roger will have 7,145. Murray will have 7,150. Wow. So, if Roger could have literally played one round, he could have assured himself a... a uh, uh, a, a number two ranking in New York. So again, we don't know with the speculation of where Roger is with his injury. We don't even know where Murray's at at this point. Uh, obviously, he's pulled out, you know, for a couple of weeks now to try to get his hip um, in order. But we don't even know where he's going to be at at that point going into New York. So we may not even see Murray or Roger there. Who knows? Um, but yes, I, I agree. Congratulations to the doll and getting back to number one, especially at 31 years of age. That's, that's a big deal. Um, so credit to him, uh, getting back to number one. Um, and like you said, we'll, we'll see what that luck of the draw pulls then for, uh, for being the number one seed. All right. So let's get into our (laughs) Rogers cup review here. Uh, so we look at this tournament here, what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of talk very briefly about, uh, or go over some of the notable results and then we're going to talk about the men's uh, uh, final. We're going to talk about uh, the both players, uh, the path for them to the final. How did they get there? You know, so we're going to look and see who they beat along the way. And then we're going to talk about the match. And we'll do the same for the women. And then we're going to move on to the Cincinnati preview. So looking at the notable results. So the first thing is Rafael Nadal loses to uh, Denis Shapovalov. Uh, 366476. Six, six. So I watched this match uh, live as you as did you. As did I. Um so on one hand I got to say uh kudos to Shapovalov because 
being that he was playing in front of a home crowd, which on one hand pumped him up, but at the same time, it's a lot of pressure. Lots of pressure. He had just come yeah. through uh, beating um, Juan Martín del Potro in the previous round, actually, 6-3, um, 7-6. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously, you look at this guy and you say, okay, he's got some talent. And we know he's got talent because we've heard of him. Uh, there has been some talk about, hey, this kid's got some skills. So on one hand, i got to give credit to the guy because he certainly went out there and played gutsy. And even when he lost that first set, he didn't um, he didn't wilt. He didn't go away. So i got to give him credit for that. You know, Not to mention, in the round previous before Del Potro, he saved several match points against mm-hmm. Dutra Silva to even get into the match against right. Del Potro. So Shapovalov, uh, you know, he, like you said, I mean, that it was an impressive effort from him uh, to, to save match points, get through that, then beat Del Potro to even then get to Nadal um, in, in an amazing match, by the way. Um, you know, throwing my two bits in here. Uh, amazing match. Um, admittedly, I think Nadal had chances where he should have had many, that match many, closed many, out yeah, much sooner. Set he had... I wouldn't- and, and he, he had multiple chances, but credit to Shapovalov for even staying in there and not wilting. Because um, we've seen many young guys wilt to Nadal uh, in that kind of situation, you know, deep into a third set where everything seems to be going good and then boom, it's gone. And the match is over and you're already in the locker yeah. Um So credit to him there to at least stay in the moment. Uh, but I agree um, that, that Nadal definitely should have closed well, that out. Well, he should have closed that out, but um, honestly, I I don't think Nadal played particularly well in that in that match. I, I wouldn't say that it was his best effort, but I don't want to say yeah. that it was his worst either. It's, I don't want to I don't want to take away that Shapovalov did play extremely well. well uh, I, again, he played a very high risk game and went for a lot, which was basically the only reason that he stayed in that match. Um, because shots right. were just falling for him, but but ill regardless, no, I wouldn't say that Nadal no, had no, his eight plus game. Well, here's here's um, how I looked at it. Nadal won that first set primarily on the fact that Shapovalov was spraying a ton of errors. He couldn't he couldn't hit it. Yeah, he was nervous. He couldn't hit a first he serve to, to save his life. A lot of his his shots were were landing well behind the baseline. Uh, I don't, I don't even think Nadal played that great in the first set. I think he just he won that more because Shapovalov was just nervous and in making a ton of errors. His level was and then low. you know Shapovalov settled down a bit, and I don't think Nadal's level actually increased at all. I, I think Shapovalov stopped spraying as as many errors, and it just led to him playing better. Because his level just rose naturally, and Nadal never raised his any higher than he had at any point in the match. Uh, he had breakpoint chances, and he, even to win that set, even though I don't think he played particularly well, and you know that's why I'm not like I'm not trying to take it away from Shapovalov because I'm giving him credit for playing better, much better in that second and third set. But oh, I yeah, can't look yeah, at this absolutely. match because I watched that, and I'm just saying like, dude, you're playing terrible. I mean, you're spraying. I mean, it was Nadal who was spraying errors. Like Shapovalov wasn't that first set. It was Nadal in the second and third set who was hitting balls long and shanking them. And it was like, okay, you know, I don't know if you haven't, you know, if you're a bit rusty or if it's just an off day, which it could be. You know, players have off days. It's just, it's not, things are not flowing naturally on court and you can't grind your way through that day. And I just don't think it, 
that match was a match when Nadal couldn't find a way to grind through and win on a day he wasn't playing particularly well. Um, so... Yeah, because I wouldn't necessarily say it was Rusty because he destroyed Borna Chorich in round true. four. I just don't think he just wasn't playing well. Yeah, and, and, and admittedly, a Borna Chorich who's played pretty yeah, well this summer. I mean, he he crushed him. There was there's, <laughs> it was it was lights out as Brad Gilbert would say, literally from yeah, start that, to that finish. Nadal wasn't out there um, against Shapovalov. I, I mean, I honestly, yeah, I honestly feel like with this match too, the crowd had a huge factor. I think, yeah. That's a fair point. If not for it being the home crowd, Shapovalov probably wouldn't have even gotten through mm-hmm. that second set. Because, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that break came late in the second no, set. No, against Nadal. That he had. No, that was early on. No. He was up like yeah. three. Yeah, he was up oh, like Oh, it was three, early. So. Okay. Okay. I, I, I might be thinking yeah. of something else. But um, but the fact is, like, in my instance, from the other matches that I saw Shapovalov play other than the Nadal match... The match against Manorino where he looked the same in the first set. He couldn't put a ball in to save his life in the following round in the quarterfinals against Manorino. Uh, he looked absolutely awful. And then the crowd kept pushing him. He turned it around. He got the break in the second. And in the third, it was close, just like the Nadal match. And the crowd kind of willed mm-hmm. him through it. Um, so, I mean, I, I give... Uh, I give the uh, crowd the 12th man awards, <laughs> <That's fair. That's laughs> as we would say, uh, okay. uh, yeah. to Shapovalov. So, uh, again, though, again, uh, yep. credit to Shapovalov mm-hmm. for playing aggressive. Uh, but I agree. Nadal definitely was not his A-plus yeah, game that, but, that but, day. You know, that's, that's, that happens, you know, and you got to find a way to, to grit through and win on days like that. It just wasn't a day where he could. And Shapovalov is, is – he's – why? Because he played well enough in that second, third set to earn that victory. Uh, I mean, I, it sounds like I'm giving a backhanded compliment here, and I'm, I'm trying not to do that. It, it's, it's just when I'm looking at the match, I'm trying to actually give you my opinion as to how both players played. So I'm trying to say, yes, on one hand, Chapovlov earned that victory because well, he won. <laughs> okay, and he went out there and gutted out uh, and had very tight moments where he could have easily lost serve and lost that match, and he didn't. Um, and he played a high-risk, high-reward game. Uh, but at the same time, I can't also discount the fact that Nadal didn't look particularly well. Now, you could say, well, that's because Shapovalov was playing better. That's true. But he, like I said, his mat, his level in that first set wasn't that great. I remember saying at the end of that first set, even though he won it, I was like, man, you're not looking that great today. <laughs> I sure hope you get through this quickly and uh, hopefully you come out tomorrow better. Well, that didn't happen. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, all right, let, let's uh, let's move on because I don't want to spend too long on that. It's it's that's good enough, I think, because uh, we got other matches to get to here. So, uh, Young Chung defeats David Gafan seven five six three. Chung is one of those guys. He is um, he's got talent. He's uh he hits with a a, a flat ball. He's uh, he's good. Um, he's an excellent mover and. Yeah, excellent, excellent timing. timing. He took he took GoFan out, and go, we know how good GoFan is. Um, He's one of the best best pure hitters off the ground mm-hmm. of any guy out there. Clean off both sides, and 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 a good mover and defender right. in his own yeah, right. Definitely. So, uh, you know, great for for Chung. He's really starting to make some some moves here, and he's he's taking some skins. You know, he's he's got uh, he's he's doing some 
Good stuff. And this and 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 he in that group that that you and I talked about prior to the podcast, and we will bring this up in just a minute. Part of that yep. young generation. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, yeah. uh, Menorino defeats Milos Ranich uh, six four six four. Now, on one hand, Ranich isn't really playing that well this year. For the most part, his results have been more or less lackluster. Um, and so, I, I this isn't like last year where he was kind of blowing people away left and right. But at the same time, yeah. If yeah. this if this would have taken place last year in this round in this time period, we'd have been like Manorino just yeah. pulled off America. Yeah, he was playing great. Um, but 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 ill regardless, not no discredit to Manorino. He played very well and stayed within the moment and and, and beat a guy who had the crowd well behind sure. him, obviously uh, playing yep. in Canada. So uh, all right, so let's um let's talk about the the men's final here. All right, so Michael. What was the route for Roger, you know, to get to the final? Well, uh, obviously, being the two seed, he had a bye. Um, second round, he played Peter Polanski, a wild card uh, Canadian. Basically, the same thing Sadal had with Borna Koric. Uh, one-way traffic, 6-2-6-1. Barely broke a sweat against Polanski. Um, I watched his next match against David Ferrer. I was very worried same thing that you said with Nadal. Roger did not look his best early in that match. Uh, I was very concerned that, that he was probably going to lose to Ferrer for a while. Um, being that Roger had an undefeated, uh, insurmountable undefeated record against Ferrer, uh, he was able to turn it around, though. Uh, played played much better in the second set, although Ferrer was still very game in that second set. Um, and at that point, though, once Roger won the second, it was pretty much one-way traffic in the third uh, Ferrer kind of went away then. Um, good showing uh, for Roger in the quarterfinals against Batista Agut. Uh, I actually thought this was going to be a much more difficult match for him. Uh, 6 4 6 4, but they were still tough sets. Uh, but for the most part, um, Roger, Roger was not, I don't think, in a whole lot of trouble in that match as he was against Ferrer. Uh, in the semifinal, he played a surprise semifinalist, and congratulations to Robin Hase. Um, for an amazing run to the semifinal, a guy that's been mostly a journeyman in his career, uh, gave Roger a, a good bit of all that he could handle in the second set. Uh, Hase kind of wilted a little late in that tie break, and it was just one of those instances where, you know, the, the top guys with their clutch play late in a tie break, that was basically the difference there, uh, winning 7-5 in that tie break. Um, to get to the final. Uh, so, Mike, do you want to take Zverev then? Sure. All right. So, Zverev had a bye, and in the next round, he faced uh, Richard Gasquet. Now, this was a match that was really, really tough, and it, it was really one of those matches that is a, shows a it, champion's it, resolve. Yeah, a champion's right resolve. Um, you, could, you could argue Zverev is, is kind of lucky that he won that match because. They split the first two sets, and then it, towards the end of the, the third set, Zverev was up big, and uh, he was up a break. Uh, he was serving for the match, and then he played like, like – The like, worst it was game like ever. <laughs> five straight points. He lost five straight points to lose serve. He was up 40, I believe 40 love, and then he lost five straight points, and that was it. It was an absolutely like horrid string of points. Had he won just one of those points, the match would have been over. 
And so it leveled it at five all. They went into the tie break um, after they both held their game, they held their serve. And then, um, you know, Zverev eventually, you know, pulled away and won in the tie break. But he's kind of lucky that he won that match. It had nothing to do with a bad level of play either. It was just that Gasquet, he was just on form and he was really giving Zverev fits. He was using all of his guile, his his different spins. He was cracking that that one-handed backhand pretty good. Uh, but Zverev came through that match, and I think that match really gave him the confidence, the big-time confidence, uh, that he could really win this tournament. And he followed that up with a straight sets uh, victory over uh, Nick Kyrgios. It was a, a 6-4, 6-3 match. Um, I, I, I didn't think Kyrgios had a shot anyway. Uh, given the state of his hip recently, it's... It was unlikely he was going to do much anyway. I was, I was a bit surprised Kyrgios even made it um, to that the, the third round anyway. So, um, but Zverev had no no trouble really. Um, Kyrgios went down. If this was the Kyrgios in the spring, I think this would have been a massive battle. If this was the Kyrgios that beat uh, Djokovic two straight weeks, um, two straight tournaments then, yeah, this would have been a barn burner kind of match, but uh, not the, the curious in the current state that he's in. So, um, uh, hold on one second here. Let's see. Wait. So, um, Zverev got past Kevin Anderson in straight sets. That was a 7-5 seven, uh, seven, Six four victory. I, I kind of expected more out of this match, just given the the fact that Kevin Anderson's got such a massive serve. But uh, you know, Curious was on form. Um, and then he, I'm sorry, you mean Zverev was on form. Was on form. Um, and then yeah. uh, Zverev defeated uh, Shapovalov, Denis Shapovalov, uh, straight sex sets again, six four, uh, seven five, and that allowed him to get to. Uh, the final, and of course, and of course, we talk about uh, players. Um, I don't remember the exact stat. There's, there's been. I'm trying to remember it now. There's been. It's been like five or six people this year that have won tournaments after facing a match point against them, where they've come back and won, and then gone on to win the tournament. Um, something, something that you didn't bring up. That match with Gasquet, Zverev was down match point, I believe, uh, on his serve leading into the tiebreak. 49-shot rally and possibly the point of the year. Uh, Zverev won a 49-shot rally against Gasquet to save match point to get uh, to then get into the tiebreak afterwards um, to then win the match. Uh, in an amazing 49, 49 shot rally, regardless of how you're hitting it is impressive. Ill regardless. Um, but anybody that has the opportunity to go out and watch that 49 shot rally is something to see. Um, obviously, as you said, giving, giving the resolve for him to then probably make his way into the final. Um, after that, uh, think about it when you're on the brink and you're literally on the edge of defeat to come back and then get to the final, um, where, Obviously, we had uh, the tale of two sets, but uh, I think you and I both said that uh, 
we're not too sure that the the two set outcome would have been a whole with lot. The different. Um, with yeah, the Severo so match, with the Severo Federer match, look at yes. this match. So uh, if we look at the total match stats for this, uh, Severo had six aces, right? Roger had two, uh, double followed. Severo had one, Roger had two. Uh, first first percentage, uh, 69% for Zverev and uh, 51% for Roger. Now, a lot of that had to do with the second set. Once he got in- injured, um, it definitely went down. But even before that, he wasn't. But admittedly, he did not serve that well no, in the first didn't. set either. Um, the serve was not on at all. And literally uh, from about three games into that match um, – I knew that Roger had a massive uphill battle. Zivera was hitting clean off both sides, serving big. Um, admittedly, I think Zivera had um, what quite possibly could be a blueprint of how to defeat Federer the way he has been playing um, this year. And that is uh, be more aggressive than he is. Uh, Roger, early on in that match, did everything he could to try to you know, pull the trigger early and be aggressive like he has all year. Zverev gave him no opportunity to even think about trying to do it. Um, I think you would admit, you yeah, did I you did. watch the yeah. whole match? I think you would admit that Zverev, from the get-go, did not give Federer any time to do anything yeah. right off the start. Um, I, I think Zverev, Zverev, with this victory and the way that he played in the first set, and I'm going to say specifically the first set because of obviously the injury in the second. I, I truly, obviously, everyone knows that I'm a huge Federer fan and I will root for Roger until the day I die. Uh, but the fact is, I don't think that he was going to win this match regardless of the injury in the second set. Uh, after that first set, um, unless Roger kind of somehow pulled off some kind of miracle or Zverev's level dropped drastically, it was Zverev's no matter what. Um, that was one of the cleanest, cleanest, most decisive sets against one of the top guys I've seen played by anybody other than the big four in a very long time. Yeah, it, and yeah. I think the you level would agree. Of tennis from Zverev was uh, pristine, very high, very high. Uh, that first set was just, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, a bit of a. It was a master class of tennis it because was, it was amazing it, a lot of it has to do impressed. with his particular skills so obviously Zverev has a big serve so that's for, first and foremost um, he's going to get his aces and even if he doesn't get an ace there's going to be a lot of either unreturnable serves or uh, very very weak replies uh, and the scary thing is I think he's becoming a much better spot server than he has been in, in years past uh, even since right. last oh, season no, I would definitely. say so I think he's added another element to his serve that's making it even more difficult because he's placing his serve so much better that he doesn't have to hit it 130 right. every time, uh, which is, like you said, it, it's free points are not at a premium uh, returning against Zverev at this point on the serve. You, you're not going to get many looks on his serve unless he's having yeah. a horrible And, and then on top of the, the, the serve, which is really, really good, uh, his ground strokes are, are excellent. Um, he's got a really good tune, a backhand, as we know. Um, and then particularly down the line, um, he really crushes it. But also cross court. It's, 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 it's not super flat, but it's also, it, it's, it's got just enough margin that it isn't, it isn't like some other players who hit it so flat, like, uh, Burdick, for instance, where 
Yeah, I was going to say that was a good comparison. But, I was going to say Barnett, but it's too. still – it kind of skids off the court anyway and just because of it, like the, the hit point where the, he comes in contact with the ball, the hit point, um, it gives him a really good opportunity to drive it through the court, which he does so well, even cross court. Um, it, it, it forced Roger to have to sprint to his forehand but also sprint shallow into the court to try to dig out some of those backhands that Zverev was hitting. And then, of course, his forehand's got a lot more spin to it, but he can also rip it uh, with a lot more um, depth and just flattening the ball out. And it really just depends on what he wants to do. Uh, if he hits it with a lot of top spin, it's going to kick up off on the court. And Roger, even though that forehand is amazing, if he's if he's mixing up the spins and hitting it flat and then hitting it uh, with top spin, it... I don't want to say it confuses Roger, but he can't he can't get into a rhythm on that forehand, and so I think that is probably one of the no. the key takeaways that I had in this match is that f- the only thing that I could say that was a negative for Zverev um, wasn't particularly great at net, but Roger really never had an opportunity to even no, bring him not, into net. No. Uh, I would think I would say of Zverev the only part of his game that is right now not on par is his is his net play. But the way that he plays, it's it's very difficult to bring him into net um, when he doesn't right. want to be there, um, the way that he's playing. But uh, that was the only thing that was not perfect in my yeah. eyes in yeah. that match right. for Samarov. Um, so, right. So then the second set, uh, it was kind of more of the same. And, and then Roger got hurt about halfway through that set. And then after, you know. And I'll, and I'll honestly say that that, that 6-4 score is very misleading. Because it makes it look like he played better. Roger was never – Roger never was in a service game of Zverev ever right. in that second yeah. set. Yeah, and, and so people look at the score line and they immediately think that Roger played better in that second set than the first set just in lieu of the 6-4 uh, score line. But all that really means is that there was a break in the first set and then there was a break in the second set. Uh, so – I think what we had, what we have here, is uh, a player who just went out and completely dominated. Um, I, I agree. The scoreline was going to be the same, no matter what. So, congrats to Alexander Zverev. He's now won his second Masters 1000 title this year. Yep, in a row. Um, really fantastic stuff. He's now five and one in in uh, in finals this year. So really yeah, great stuff impressive. from him, obviously. So uh, before we move on to the women, we're just going to briefly, uh, very briefly talk about this um, next gen. Um, it it's not it's not big yeah, deal. It's not near. Big deal. It's here, everybody. Uh, we've been talking about and not not on the podcast so much, although there too. But we've been talking for a few years now. When's the next generation going to finally take hold? When's when's gonna, when are they going to start breaking through? Because the lock on the the men's game that the big four have had has been just persistent and legendary. Uh, it will go down, in my opinion, as the greatest generation of all time. But we've been trying to figure out when this is gonna this is gonna be hap- gonna start happening. You know, when's going so when's someone really going to start breaking through? We thought it was going to be Dimitrov a few years back, and he did a bit there, and then he just disappeared. 
I don't think that's going to happen with Severev and company. And it's not just it's not just Dimitrov. Um, it's not just like a few years ago when it, it only appeared like it was Dimitrov that was making inroads. Now we have a bunch of players. It's it's Zverev. It's Dominic Team. It's Shapovalov. Um, there are probably about 10 to 12 players right now on tour that we can all point out are probably going to be top 20 players, um, top 20 to top 25, and there's going to be a handful that are probably going to be top tenors, and I'm pretty sure you know Zverev is going to be number one in the world at some point in the next, I would say in the next two years, in about two years' time or roughly, I, I think Zverev will be uh, number one in the world. I think he'll finally break through. I, I think he's going to have a massive season here at the next year, the year after, where he's going to actually win a Grand Slam title or more. And he will then, uh, I think, become number one in the world. So, yeah. Because I think you and I would definitely say that I, I honestly feel like with these last couple victories that he's had, I don't necessarily want to say that – I don't think he's a no, dark he's horse not. any longer. he's not. He's, he's, I think yeah. he's a legitimate mm-hmm. contender to win the U.S. Yeah. Open this year. Um, would I would I have said that you know a couple of months ago? No, I wouldn't have. I would have said he's, he's a dark horse. He's got a real outside chance, but nah, probably not going to do it. Now I would say – um, he showed me a lot in this tournament, digging out the way he did against Gasquet, playing as well as he did throughout the tournament, um, in beating players that he should have beat. And admittedly, uh, in that semifinal against Shapovalov, um, he was well in hand in that second set, and Shapovalov got mm-hmm. the break back at the start of that second set. Uh, Zverev broke Shapovalov. He, Shapovalov played a horrible game. And Zverev broke back, uh, or uh, you know, broke, uh, got broken. Immediately broke Shapovalov back and was right back into it. There was no no uh, lapse of concentration mm-hmm. in my eyes. Um, he was right back on it. Um, the crowd was so against him in that match, uh, and and it was funny. Brad Gilbert pointed out Zverev was wearing a black garb in the match, and they basically said. Uh, you know, the man in black uh, just put an end to the, wow. the Canadian run. Uh, and, and he played that yeah. role. And he played it well. Uh, he'd never let that crowd get to him, I don't believe, in that matchup. And I, I think that physically um, he's ready and mentally now I think he's ready that when when push comes to shove at the U.S. Open, it's going to take a tall task out of somebody to put down Zverev yeah. playing well, at remember, this Yeah, well, remember, he came into the tournament having won the previous tournament. So we're looking right. at a guy who's now on a, what, 12? No, that's not fair. How many how many match win streak now? 11? 10, 11? Uh, 10, 10 to 12, 12 match 10 win 10 streaks. 12, the point there. is he's, he's on a roll. And if he has a good showing here, even if he doesn't win in Cincinnati, even if he just has a good showing um, that is gonna, it's gonna say a lot. So yeah, just wanted to briefly mention that before we get into the women's side, uh, you know, the, the next generation, they're not near, they're here and they're here to stay. And it's going to be the old guard on their way out, uh, before too long. In a couple of years time, we're going to be looking at some of these guys firmly entrenched, uh, in the, the, the one through eight, uh, slots, the, the top seeds, I think you're going to see 
two thirds of them are going to be well. Yeah, I'd say around between a half to two thirds are going to be taken up. I think more by next gen stars than by the guys that are currently there. So, all right, so let's move Absolutely. on to the women's side. You know, in terms of the notable results, there really wasn't a whole lot. Um, there wasn't. There wasn't a whole well, lot. Michael, of why don't you take this? For the most part, yeah, why don't was, you take this side? Yeah, by all means. Uh, by all means, um, just a couple that we that we can even kind of point out: uh, Varvalopchenko defeating uh, Yelena Ostapenko, uh, obviously our French Open champion. One six seven six seven six. Ostapenko played well in the first set, and Lopchenko. Uh, pushed her to the brink, the second and third, and and just outlasted her a little bit. Um, other than that, I mean, we can point out Wozniacki beating Pliskova, being that Pliskova is number one in the world coming into the tournament uh, as the number one seed for the first time. Um, this match, again, was odd, though. Um, very back and forth. Uh, Wozniacki won the first set, 7-5. Pliskova winning the second set in a tie break. Uh, and then Wozniacki winning the third, 6-4. Very close match the whole way through. Um, very back and forth. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, uh, sustained sustained dominance, I guess would be a way to put it, uh, in the match. Um, if we want to really even throw any kind of massive upset, um, American Sloan Stevens returning uh, after being off, I believe, nine months. Uh, or, or roundabouts of that uh, with a, uh, I believe it was a foot or, or uh, ankle injury. Um, defeating Petra Kvitova and Angelique Kerber in back-to-back rounds. Um, now, again, we could say, you know, Kvitova is still kind of on the comeback trail from, uh, you know, from the uh, attack that she received. Uh, and Kerber obviously has not played at her best over, uh, this year. But the fact is, it's still Kvitova and Kerber who are still very high-quality players. Uh, and for somebody like Sloane Stevens to come back from injury and play that well to beat them in back-to-back rounds, um, impressive, uh, I, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, but, I mean, if, unless you have anything to add, Mike, we'll get into the uh, the women's final. And yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, you know. Uh... Okay. Um so, so basically, um, for, for both ladies, <laughs> uh, Wozniacki uh, against Elena Svitolina uh, in the final. Um, one moment here. Uh, I'll start off with uh, Wozniacki first. So, uh, obviously, Wozniacki had a bye to start the tournament, uh, being the sixth seed. Uh, beat uh, Alexandrova, uh, uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova, a qualifier in the second round. Uh, pretty handily. She then played uh, Agnieszka Wadwanska, um, beating her pretty handily as well, 6-3, 6-1. Kind of a surprise um, that it was that. But let's be honest, the two of them are very much, um, very similar styles. Uh, Wozniacki just showed a lot more grit in that match and just basically took command. Uh, Then as we talked about, the win over Pliskova uh, in the next round, uh, winning 6-4 in the third uh, then she played Sloane Stevens, uh, who again I had said came off of beating Kvitova and Kerber. I think Stevens was a little bit out of gas. Wozniacki beat her 6 2 6 to get to the final. Uh, Mike, do you want to take the next one or would you like me to continue? Uh, go ahead and take the next one. Yeah. Okay. So Elena Svitolina uh, got a bye as well. She was the fifth seed. Uh, she then beat Daria Kazakina in the second round, 7 6 6 4. 
then beat Venus Williams, 6-2-6-1. Yes, you heard that stat line correctly. Uh, then beat uh, reigning Wimbledon champion Garbinia Muguruza, uh, 6-3 in the third, uh, followed by an absolute demolition of Simona Halep, 6-1, 6-1 in the semifinal. Um, Mike, did you see that match at all? Yes, I did. And I'll tell you what, Halep didn't have a chance in that match. It was, it was, I, I don't even know, I don't even know what could, I, I don't know what words you could really use, even use other than demolition to describe basically, that match. It was so, it was so thorough domination. You could have given Halep an extra, you could have given her like, you could have given her two. You could have given her a boost of adrenaline in between points, and you I don't think it would have You could have given her the mattered. first two points <laughs> on each of her service games and made it 30-love, and I still and think she mattered. probably would have lost that match with the same scoreline. That's how dominant That's how dominant she was against Halep, because Halep had no chance in that match. Yeah. And getting into the final then between Svitolina and Wozniacki, um, there wasn't a whole lot of difference in the final either. Uh, Wozniacki put up quite a bit of effort in the first set, but after Svitolina got the break in that first set, one-way traffic uh, after that, 6-0 in the second. Um, Wozniacki, I thought, looked disinterested. Um, I, I think that in her mind, after she lost that first set, I think she kind of packed it in. Would yeah, you feel I the same way? Has- I mean, don't, just, no, no, not discrediting Svitolina. I mean, she played... Unbelievable right. uh, in that second set. But Wozniacki, look, this is Wozniacki, I believe, yep. fifth final this year, that's, and she's that's lost what them I was all. Get to. I, I, that is a horrible statistic for a right. player of and her I think quality. That, that is exactly why she was like that in the second set. You know, if she had won one or two of those finals this year and gotten titles, I think we would have seen a different player. In this final, in that second set, different mindset. But her mindset, mindset was, yeah. "Oh, here we go again." That's at least what I took yeah. away from it when I was watching and, it. I saw a player that just said, "Well, all right, it's it's same thing, rinse, repeat." You know, it's a Groundhog Day, same thing over and over and over again. You know, so it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's unfortunate, it really is, because she's been playing so well this year in lieu of how many finals she's managed to get to, and yet. Once she gets there, it's like – I don't want to say it doesn't matter who's on the other side because that's not fair to the players that she has lost to. No, it's not. But it's she's not. not. And, and, and she's played better in many of the – I think this is the worst showing she's had yeah. in the final of those, of those finals. But it's that just, it's just that – it's just that um, – um, the corrosive effect of all of those losses. You know, they, they weigh her down now. It's like until she can get to a final and win – she won't be able to get that that monkey off her back. Really, it it's just it's so heavy right now. She gets to a final, and I feel like she goes in almost feeling like she's fe- feeling like she's facing an uphill battle from the get go at this point when she gets to a final because she's like, I haven't won in yeah, so long. I, I would say so. You know, it, and I, I lose the first set. I mean, should I even try? And I feel like this, this is what happened. Yeah, I um, one thing that I did see um. Her father, who is her coach, uh, came out onto the court. Um, I think I believe it was. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say for sure. I wanted to say it was in the first set, but I do believe it was early in the second set. Or no, it was early in the first set. Um, 
and he came out and was talking with her. And even at that point, again, I can't speak Polish. Uh, I believe that's the language that the two of them speak between each other. But I, um, I, I couldn't understand what they were saying. But the dialect between the two made it sound like Wozniacki was throwing the towel in already. Um, and again, I could be, you know, a little bit of a stretch, of course, but it, the exchange was not a good exchange. And then it was that early in the match. I think it was three games into the match and she was already having a very negative tone, uh, in the retorts to her father. And most of the time when he comes onto court, it's very much one way. He's talking to her. She's listening. This was not the case. Um, she was retorting back to him, and it didn't sound positive. Um, so I think that feeds into what you're saying, Mike. The simple fact that she's already feeling as though she's, you know, set down going in almost. Uh, or, or even a couple games that it just – the the tone and body language just – it looked very negative. Um, which to me is extremely surprising because I don't see Wozniacki as a very negative player. I don't see her playing negatively. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you to an extent. But remember, this is the same player that a year ago after the U.S. Open, there was actual talk of her retiring. Okay? And so this is I, true. I think this what is we're true. seeing here is a combination of two things. On one hand, you could say – well, come on, Wozniacki's only in her mid-20s. I mean, she's literally in the prime of her career. But we also have to remember she got to the top of the women's game years ago and she hasn't been back in quite some time in terms of like being at the top of the rankings or even number two in the world. So I think it's a yeah, I Until think it's now. a combination. I, I mean, think it's at a this combination point, you know, but... of all of those losses in finals. But I guess the bigger question is is the grind of the tour starting to get to her? You know, is the injury starting to pile up? Is it getting to the point now where it's harder to go out and train every single day? You know, um, is, I'm sure is the it call is at this point in her career? Yeah, she's yeah. made her money. Um, she's had a successful career. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Okay. She hasn't won a major, but there's not a whole lot more that she could do other than that for the most part. Well, given, um, given her skill set, you know, she's reached number one, and she was she was number one for you know over a year's time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I mean, she was there for a very long length of time. She's won a lot of titles. Uh, she she's had a successful career, but I, I think I'm agreeing with you in the fact that her style of play, and I think her style of play for any player on tour, when you play that style of play. You have to think about the mental resolve that you have to have point in and point out to play like that. Something that you've you've said for many years with Nadal, the mental resolve to be able to go out and grind and and make it look easy. Right? This is the this is the same style that Wozniacki plays because she doesn't have the power to end points. She doesn't have the ability to go out there and just end a point when she wants to. Right. Unless she hits an error right. for it- the most part. So so the mental resolve that is needed in a point-in and point-out basis to get through matches, especially these tough matches, where you're playing, and in my opinion, she's playing, excuse me, a player in Svitolina who has a similar style of play, but Svitolina has much more power than she does, in my opinion, off the ground. And the fact is, when you're playing somebody 
that's younger than you, plays just like you do, but has more power than you do, what do you? What is there for you to do other than grind? There isn't anything else. And I think it's a situation like you said. I think that it, it's just, and this is why I said she looked disinterested in that second set. She did not look like she wanted to go out there and grind anymore in that second set. Like that, that resolve to go out there and fight and, and, you know, really just dig your, dig your, uh, you know, dig your feet in and really try to give it your all. It wasn't there. That resolve was not there in, in any fashion. And I, I think that that is a cumulative effect of playing that style of tennis for so many years that it, it, it has to get hard when you go out there and all you can do is grind. And especially for her, being that she's this close to the top of the game and knowing that I'm literally going to have to go out there and I'm going to have to grind and grind and grind to win a match. Every, every single match that you go out there. Now, obviously, in the earlier rounds when she plays lesser players, it's not as hard to do. But when you're facing the, the elite competition, I saw the grit in her to grind against Pushkova um, in the semifinal. That was a match that was very difficult for her to get through. But it was because she was willing to go out there and grind. When she went out there against Fidelina, there was no grind there. Again, and I feel like it's because the styles are so similar, yet Svitolina is younger, has a little bit more power, and is able to dictate a little bit more. Whereas when she played Pliskova, although Pliskova's game is nothing but power, you can exploit her movement, which is what Wozniacki did. She moved her around the court, she took time away from her, and it exploited her and allowed Wozniacki to grind her way through the win. Whereas with Svitolina, there was no way she was going to grind her way yeah. through that match. I agree. And I, I think it's just a cumulative effect thing. Um, I mean, if you have anything to add, by all means. No, not really. I mean, you pretty much outlined it pretty well there. It's just it's tough to see her continuing to lose. But, um, you know, that's you get to the final and it's now your job to win. And, you know, we can, out, we can analyze why she lost. We can break down her weaknesses and strengths versus uh, Svitolina's weaknesses and strengths. But at the end of the day, you have to go out there and you have to earn that victory. You have to earn that, that trophy. And um, that's her job. And she's not Absolutely. doing it in the finals when she should be, or at least when she has her chance. And so, uh, you know, it's her job to go out there and be positive. It's her job to go out there. And maybe that Pushkiva match took a lot out of her. I don't know. But – it, it's possible. It very well could have. But at the end of the day, she has to go out there and take that title. That's your job. That's what you got to do. Nobody will give it to you. You've got to earn it. And, uh, you know, I got to say, she's not she's not earning but, that title because she's not, you know, she's not doing what she has to do. She's not making the shots that need to be made. And she's letting players, you know, break her when they – maybe they shouldn't. Um, you know, it's just mm – -hmm. But let's be honest. But let's be honest. Wozniacki got an extra day off that, that yeah. Svitolina didn't. She played Pliskova late at night. Uh, Svitolina didn't even get to finish her match against Muguruza, which um, you know she lost the first set against Muguruza, had to come back the next day, won the next two sets, and then that night had to play Halep back-to-back, -back, two matches in one day. So you can't say that Svitolina wasn't a whole lot, you know, fresher. 
in any fashion, you would probably say she was less fresh going yeah, into the final. Yeah. I, but but it, but it, regardless, credit to Svitolina because she defeated something that not many have done, defeated four mm-hmm. top ten players uh, to win the title. Williams, Muguruza, Halep, and then Wozniacki in the final. Um, you know I've been very high on Svitolina all season, and even in the last season, I said that she's coming. It's only a matter of time. I think the same as for her as it is for Zverev. I think that she's there. I think that mentally, um, mentally she might be a little more fragile than than uh, Zverev as far as you know mental toughness. But I think that she has the ability with the lineup that we're going to see at New York. I think she has a good chance uh, to win the U.S. Open this year as well. Uh, I agree. I agree. All right. But regardless, let's get on to that Cincinnati preview here. Um, all right. So let's start out with the men's side of the draw. Uh, I'm going to start out here. Now, uh, before we get started, I want to make a kind of a brief announcement. So last week, we did the draw, and we started out from the first round. We made it all the way to the final. Um, and here's the thing. The reason why I did that was how I st- well, was what I stated, was that I felt like we were kind of just brushing over all these other players and just let's let's get to the to the latter stages of the tournament. And that's why we did it that way cuz I thought well maybe we should actually you know talk a little bit about these matches but at the same time it's a it's a lot of matches. You can't I mean other than highlighting the occasional matchup or saying a couple sentences about the match you're not really doing much more at least we weren't really doing much more and I realized after I listened to it um the next day, we really weren't doing anything more than just saying X player versus X player, this is who I think is going to win, on to the next one. And so unless we can actually discuss um, these matches in more detail, I, I guess I, I feel like we're going to go back to what we were doing before, All right, which is we're going to do quarterfinals onward for Master Series um, and well, basically anything that isn't a um, a grand uh, a grand slam, anything that isn't a major, uh, majors we're going to go fourth round to final. Uh, anything else is going to be um, quarterfinal onward, uh, just because it does make it shorter for us. In that, because um, if we have to do from the first round onward, it's going to take us anywhere between thirty and forty five minutes to do it, which is a long time. And who wants to right. hear all that? So we're getting to the ones that matter. At the end of the day. <laughs> We're getting the latter stages because at that point, if if a player that you like isn't in our projections, then they they didn't deserve to be there. At least we didn't feel they were going to win and get to the where uh, they're in the latter stages of the tournament anyway. So we're going to go back to the way we did it before. I think it makes it a little more concise and um, it does shorten things up a little bit for us, especially in episodes like this where we're literally recapping a tournament plus we're previewing another tournament. And so they're, they're kind of long enough as it is, so that's pretty much all I wanted to say, and so we're going to jump into it now. So the men's side, um, my projections here are that it's a Nadal, uh, Gofan, Dominic Team versus Stevie Johnson in the top uh, half of the draw. So to me, Nadal Gofan. So Gofan obviously is a great ball striker, right? He's one of the best on tour. And when he's on his game, he can beat just about anybody. Um, we've seen him take down Djokovic. We've seen him take down other top players before. Um, he's really a nightmare of a player, you know, to face uh, off against. So 
but to me, I think even though Nadal slipped up here in um, Montreal, oh not Montreal, um, Montreal, no, at the, Montreal. At the Rogers Cup, even though he slipped up against Shapovalov. Uh, for whatever reason, off day, pressure to win, to get back to number one, whatever it might be, um, it doesn't matter. Uh, Nadal has played uh, exceptionally well this year. He's number one now. He will be number one. He deserves to be there in lieu of how he's played this year. He's been rock solid uh, pretty much all year. Uh, and it, with, with the exception of this Shapovalov loss and his loss against Jills Muller, the other person that really beat him was Roger, you know, and I think Dominic Team beat him once and he was the second best player, well, the third best player in the world other than Roger and Nadal up through the clay season. So uh, he's had a great year. So I think even though Nadal lost to Montreal, I think he's going to defeat Goffin here. It's going to be a tough match, but I think Nadal is going to find a way to make his way through it and get to the semis. Uh, Dominic Team versus Stevie Johnson. That's who I project to the quarters. Um, uh, Stevie Johnson. I think he's he's got a good game, but I think Dominic Team is just he's probably second behind Zverev. I think in terms of potential right now, um, and who's playing well. Uh, Nick Kyrgios may be right up there with Zverev in terms of athletic ability and overall talent, but Dominic Team is. Uh, right behind Zverev in terms of uh, achievements and just general upward, you know, mobility in the rankings. Uh, so I think Dominic team takes out Stevie Johnson to make the semis. Uh, bottom half for the draw, we have Milos Reynich versus John Isner. Uh, I think Reynich is going to again rebound. Uh, I think he's going to make a decent run uh, from one of the first times this year, actually. I know he's had injury issues this year and he just has a a lackluster level of play, but I think he puts together a decent run to the quarters, but I think Isner actually takes out Milos Reynich to get to the semis. Bottom half of the draw, uh, to me, it's, I'm actually picking a little bit of a stretch here, I know, but I'm actually picking Grigor Dimitrov uh, against Kyle Edmund uh, with, with Grigor Dimitrov taking out Kyle Edmund to get to uh, the semifinals. Dimitrov, like Reynich, has had a pretty lackluster season, with the exception of that really great uh, Australian Open run that he made. Uh, Dimitrov really hasn't done anything this year, for the most part. Uh, it's just been early, lo- early uh, round losses and just a look of befuddlement out on court. Uh, but I do think maybe this is the time when Dimitrov is going to try and make a decent run try to get himself ready for the U.S. Open, and I think maybe he does just that. He gets to the semis. So it's Nadal versus team in the top half, Isner versus Dimitrov. I think Isner takes out Dimitrov because I think John, with that serve, uh, playing in front of a, a very uh, vocal home crowd is going to be big for him. I think he's going to ride that momentum into, momentum into the final. The top half of the draw, I'm actually going to take Dominic Team over Nadal. I think that uh, for the second time this season, I think Dominic uh, cracks the Nadal code, I guess, if you will. I think he finds some way to scrape and claw. I don't think this will be a easy victory for him, though. I think it's going to be one of those really just very, very tough hard-fought matches that that maybe ends in like a tiebreaker in in the third set or something. 
But I think Dominic Team scrapes and claws his way past Nadal, gets to the final. Dominic Team versus John Isner. And to me, I think Dominic Team takes uh, out Isner in a hard-fought final. And uh, Dominic Team is the second next-gen player in two weeks' time to lift up a trophy. Uh, he'll lift his Masters 1000 title, his first Masters 1000 title here in Cincinnati. So there is my draw for the men's side. Michael, you take it away. Mike, Mike I've got I've got okay, one go question ahead. for you Okay, on your draw. Um, so obviously Zverev winning back-to-back Masters yeah. Series events. Where do you have, have Zverev losing? losing? against Isner. Okay, I, I have that matchup as well, but I have Zverev getting through that. Um, but I, 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 I was just curious. I, I was just curious Isner on that because, because I, and, I, and, yeah. I'm, I, and I do not have Zverev winning well, here. I, by the way, I'm just I'm just asking. I was just curious as well, to where I, you I had on Isner that. winning because um, I agree. I think I think it's a lot to ask Zverev to win basically three weeks in a row, uh, even with the talent, even with his youth. Uh, you're still asking a lot for a guy to to go and win that match, go right into Montreal, uh, win that, then go right into uh, Cincinnati and win that as well. And I just I think at some point he's going to run out of gas. And Isner is just the kind of player who has a arguably a better serve than him. You can argue that John doesn't have a, obviously he doesn't have a better overall game in mobility, but that serve, if he's on, is going to be a great, um, it's going to be a great way to take Zverev out of his comfort zone. And it's going to keep him from getting into any kind of a, um, rhythm on his game because it's just going to be having to deal with that serve constantly. And at some point, I think Isner's going to find a way to win a handful of points, and it's, it's going to be just enough for him to slide by Zverev, and that's really it. So Okay. Okay. All right. I, I was just curious on that okay. one. I, I just had to ask. Um, so so mine, um, I have Nadal uh, in the top section there to play Kevin Anderson. I actually think Anderson's going to not go fan out uh, again with the big serve. Uh, I know that might sound a little odd, but um, Nadal, Anderson – um, I actually have Sam Query beating Dominic Team uh, to get in against Stevie Johnson, so we were on the same page there. Uh, so Query Johnson in the second quarterfinal. Uh, in the bottom section, I have uh, Batista Agut actually getting through Raonic uh, to the quarterfinal to play Alexander Zverev. Um, so Batista Agut against Zverev in the uh, third quarterfinal. And in the bottom section, I have uh, Grigor Dimitrov, same line as you. Uh, though I have him playing Jack Sock. I think uh, the home crowd is going to be a big deal for Sock, as you thought for Isner. Um, and, and Sock's had some poor showings, and I just feel like he, he realizes this is his last opportunity to have a good showing before New York, before the U.S. Open, and I just think that this will be a, a little bit of a driving point for him um, you know, leading in. Um, so I do have Nadal defeating Kevin Anderson uh, in the first quarter final. Uh, and I have Sam Query defeating Steve Johnson in the second one. Um, in the bottom section, uh, I have Batista Agut beating Zverev. And the reason for that is exactly what you talked about and why I brought it up. Uh, I think Zverev will eventually hit the wall. Um, I do believe in an interview I saw him say after um, you know, after the, the tournament in Montreal that he, he said he was tired. 
And, you know, admittedly, back-to-back Master Series events, getting through the fields that he got through, you've got to be tired, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, every player has had that point, and I think he'll finally hit that point uh, in the quarterfinals. So I have uh, Batista go through there. And in the bottom section, I have Grigor Dimitrov beating Jack Sock. Um, just, I think, Dimitrov, as you said, I think we're just waiting for him to have another showing and pick everything back up again. Uh, and I think this is a good tournament and a good draw for him to get through in that bottom section uh, to, to have a good showing here. Um, in the top section, I have um, – we're, we're eerily similar but slightly different. Um, I have Sam Query beating the doll um, in a rematch from earlier this year. Uh, I just think the home crowd for Query, very similar to what Shapovalov did in, in Canada. I'm going to do the same thing for Query. Uh, here, I think the doll, for the most part, is just trying to play play into form and uh, just peak at the right time. And I, I don't think at this point he's worried about uh, having to get the tournament win. I think he uh, is starting to have the same outlook as Roger in that I just want to get myself ready, get myself, play my tournaments, and get myself ready for the, the majors. Uh, so I have Query beating the doll there. The bottom section, I have Batista Agut against Dimitrov, and I'm going to take Dimitrov there. Oddly, oddly fashioned there, <laughs> as you did. Um, and Query Dimitrov final. Um, I actually have Grigor Dimitrov picking up a title here. I just think that um, for him, this bottom section is a great draw for him uh, against um, some favorable matchups that he could end up having. Uh, and I just think that he's the type of guy that needs to play into a draw and, or play into a tournament. And as he gets to the tournament... Uh, depending upon matchups, I've always been a big proponent of matchups make a match. It's it doesn't matter who it is, but a matchup is is you know I think more than half of the match itself. Um, so I, I take the Dimitrov then over Query in the final, um, in probably what would be a very good uh, three set final. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So. I think I think you and I both surprised each other a little bit with those draws. Yeah, I think so, a little bit. But you know, it's a draw where we just we're just looking at the matchups and playing a guessing game. And, and sometimes even the matchups, somebody's on form and somebody isn't. And even the guy who's got the better tools and the better matchup could have an off day, like maybe Nadal against Shapovalov. So it, it sometimes yeah. it comes down to matchups. Sometimes it comes down to level of play, and and even just down to that particular day if you're not playing great then you're gonna lose so you know it just happens exactly all right exactly. so let's move on to the exactly. women's side of the western and southern open here um so i have pliskova um carolina pliskova making her way uh to the quarterfinals and i have venus williams uh she she fights us a really tough uh three setter against uh, caroline garcia to get to the get to the quarterfinals against pliskova uh i have uh Garbine Muguruza, after having a somewhat disappointing um, run in in Montreal, she gets to the quarterfinals here. Uh, a hard fought match against Keys to get there, and then Ostapenko uh, slides by Kuznetsova. So we have uh, Pushkova versus Williams, Muguruza versus Ostapenko, with uh, Pushkova beating Venus and Muguruza beating Ostapenko. Uh, bottom half of the draw, um, we have Svitolina, who's continuing her great run and her title here at Montreal. Uh, 
making her way to the quarters. Um, and uh, I actually have uh, Makarova, Ekaterina Makarova, uh, making her way to the quarterfinals as well. Uh, below that, you've been high on Makarova I've this uh, summer, Makarova haven't you? Because I think she has. She has just the right style of game that can cause issues for a lot of players. And her her, her game can agree. vary. Or not her game can vary. Her her level of play can vary. And that's oftentimes the determining factor. If she's on game, if she's on point and she's playing well, she is uh, she just gives any player she faces fits. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's and that lefty. So that's why I feel like that, that's gonna get her to the quarters here. Uh, below that, I actually have Cece Bellis, um, who has been making her way up the rankings all season long. Who's had some pretty amazing wins already this year for someone who's only, I believe, 18 years old. Um, With a good run here, I do believe she could ranked, end up and ranked and that's been at the her U.S. Goal. Open, um, which, which, is, which has been and the so goal. I, yeah. I think she takes out uh, a so good win over Joanna Conta uh, to get to the quarters. And then we have Halep, who uh, also manages to get to the quarters as well. Uh, I have uh, Svitolina. Again, uh, she takes out Makarova here. And uh, I, th- I believe Halep takes out Bellis. But I think this run by Bellis would get her far, uh, get her just enough ranking points to make that, uh, that seeded run in- at the U.S. Open. Uh, so we have Pliskova versus Muguruza on top with Muguruza taking out Pliskova. I have Svitolina versus Halep with Halep taking out Svitolina and in similar way to Zverev. I just think this is around the time that, that Svitolina just kind of hits that wall. And uh, I think Halep takes advantage of that wall and slides by uh, Svitolina. Muguruza versus Halep with uh, Muguruza uh, getting herself into prime uh, shape for the U.S. Open by winning the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. So I have Muguruza, Garbina Muguruza, your Wimbledon champion from this year, uh, taking a Masters 1000 title just prior to the US Open. So what about you, Mike? What's your draw look like? All right, eerily similar, but again, slightly different. <laughs> um, I have Pliskova getting through to the quarterfinals uh, to play Garcia. I actually think Garcia will get through Wozniacki and Williams. Uh, we've seen Garcia play well. She played well at the French. Uh, she played well, um, I believe, that the French uh, played well, uh, I do believe, at Wimbledon as well, and has just kind of been under the radar a little bit. And I think she's just one of those players that's on the cusp that could have a good run here. Um, so I have Pliskova Garcia in the in the first quarterfinal. Um, I feel like Muguruza is the type of player that she peaks at the slams only right now. Let's be honest, we haven't seen her play well outside of a slam very often. Um, so I'm, I have Madison Keys actually getting through. Uh, I feel like she's with, with losing early, uh, last week, she's going to be rested well enough to get in, make a run here. Um, so I have Keys in the, in the second quarter against Kuznetsova. Um, I, I, I just keep sticking on Kuznetsova just because, uh, you know, that, that veteran instincts and, and she's good off both wings. She knows what she's doing. She's really good on hard courts. Uh, so I got Keys Kuznetsov in the second. Uh, Svitolina, I do can think, I agree with you, will continue her form. Uh, and I actually have Svitolina to play Kvitova. I think Kvitova is going to have a little bit of revenge against Sloane Stevens early in the draw. And I think if she gets that victory, uh, that will spur her on to get through to the quarterfinals to play Svitolina. 
Uh, I also have CC Bellis in the quarterfinal, um, getting through Conta as well. Uh, and I do have her playing Simona Halep as well in that matchup. Uh, the difference between us, uh, I have Bellis beating mm-hmm. Simona Halep uh, to get to the semifinal. Um, I, Halep has really struggled in the heat this year. I don't know why, uh, but this summer hardcourt season, she struggled when it's been warm out. Um, not sure what the problem is, but Cincinnati, you're not going to get baked a whole lot more than that uh, in Cincinnati. It's usually really hot there. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just thinking that Bellis is going to get through there to play uh, Svitolina, who I have beating Kvitova. Um, so Svitolina, Bellis in the bottom uh, semifinal. On the top, a uh, little out of order there, sorry. Um, I have Pliskova beating Garcia uh, to get to the semifinal, and I have Keys beating Kuznetsova. Um, so I'll stay with the top half. Two big servers, uh, Keys and Pliskova. Um, just off of her form, I'm going with Pliskova uh, just because I'm not 100% sure that Keys is 100% back yet. So I'm going to go with Pliskova there. Um and just, just a simple fact, if I'm going on the matchups, Fidelina, Bellis, I'll go with Fidelina. Um, just because I, I think that you're going to be getting to the back half of the tournament now. Nerves might be creeping in a little more for Bellis late in the tournament. Um, and Fidelina, uh, obviously in a head-to-head matchup, there's there's no doubt in my mind that Fidelina should win that. Uh, so I have a Pliskova-Fidelina final. No, we will not have a repeat uh, like Zverev has. Uh, I will have Pliskova cement herself as the number one seed going into New York. Uh, Pliskova winning the title um, over Svitolina in a... uh, Actually, I'm going to take it two close sets. All right. Uh, They're both interesting draws. Um, Different, but that's what we do here. Yeah, Yeah, you and I I went a little little bit different from our norm, I think, this week. I think think we're finally realizing that... After the very sure draws that we've had uh, in the last, uh, what, six months, they, yeah. they're never right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why not? Right. So why not? All right. Well, uh, everyone, that looks like that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to write into the podcast and you know tell us how wrong we were in our draws after everything plays out, or if you'd like to offer your own opinions on who you think could win the tournament, who you think is going to win the U.S. Open or any of the upcoming tournaments or any subject matter. If you want to introduce the subject of the podcast, uh, if you'd like to talk about anything in particular, um, if you'd like to offer us some feedback on how we're doing, uh, you can do so by writing into the podcast at tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. That's all lowercase, all one word, tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Just put uh, in the subject line whatever you know topic you're writing in about, and we will definitely include it on the next podcast and uh, you know give you a good um, reply to you know whatever question or opinion that you, opinion that you have. So uh, that looks like that's it for us this week. Of course, we'll be back next week to review uh, the uh, Cincinnati um, tournament, the Western and the Southern Open and uh, discuss the goings-on of the tournament, the latest news, and uh, get ready for the U.S. Open. So until then, have a good one. We'll catch you next week.